Welcome to Animal Rights, the Abolitionist Approach Commentary. I'm Gary Francione. This is our sixth No Frills Underproduced podcast. It's been an interesting week. This is the first week of the uh, the fall semester at Rutgers, and I am beginning what I think is my 26th year as a uh, as a professor. And this semester, in addition to teaching criminal law, which is a required first year course. Anna Charlton and I are teaching our upper class elective human rights and animal rights. And we had to change classrooms yesterday because the original classroom that they had assigned to us was not large enough to hold the number of students that we had. We gave the course twice uh, in, in both semesters uh, uh, last year. And we had 100 students. And so we didn't think that we would have a very high enrollment this fall given that we had 100 students last year. And we ended up with, uh, well, we've got so far, we've got 60 students and, uh, and, and registration hasn't ended. And that means that more than half of the student body will have taken the course before they graduated. Uh, and that's just, from our perspective, terrific, because this is a, uh, it's a controversial course. It's a very controversial course in which we discuss is- issues of racism, sexism, heterosexism, and speciesism. And we discuss what, how these various forms of, of discrimination differ and how they're similar. And we get into some, um, some very, very interesting discussions. Uh, and, uh, and, and we can already tell, even though we've had only two sessions so far, that this is going to be an absolutely terrific group of students, uh, and it's going to be a great class. You know, one thing I want to say as a member of the Rutgers faculty, I am very, very proud to be a, mem- mem- a member of the Rutgers faculty. Uh, the newer campus where the law school is has, for the past dozen or so years, been ranked number one amongst American universities in terms of diversity. Rutgers takes diversity seriously, and the law school has had as, as a defining mission for decades uh, diversifying the legal profession. And the result is we get uh, a terrific group of students. We have, we, have, we have wonderful diversity, but we have excellent students uh, in terms of the, their, their, their academic abilities. And it's just wonderful. I mean, it really is wonderful to teach in a diverse environment. You know, you can all appreciate that when you're having a discussion, particularly about a controversial subject, with a, with a group of people, all of whom look like you and come from the same social class, and you know the same, you know, if you if you're all the same, you might have an interesting discussion. But believe me, it's nothing like the discussion that you have when you have a real diverse group of people who are coming from just about every background that you know, different background that you could possibly imagine. When you've got real real diversity there. The discussions that you can have, particularly about controversial subjects, is um, is 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 a, is a great deal more uh, enriching. Uh, I think, both from the perspective of the teacher and from that of the student, and we're we're both very excited about the the course and about the excitement that the students seem to have about it, uh, and the fact that we're getting the enrollments that we're getting, and that the the, the course is generating. Uh, the sort of enthusiasm and uh, and numbers of students that it's uh, that it's attracting, and it's really wonderful when you you walk out of a class and then you know an hour later you you go down to the to the uh, cafeteria 
to get uh, you know some tea or something and the students from your 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 human rights animal rights class are still standing there having a discussion about something that uh, that that was discussed in class there's nothing uh, I can tell you there's nothing that is more rewarding for a teacher than uh, generating that sort of uh, excitement and enthusiasm and provoking uh, that sort of thinking uh, and so it's uh, it's 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 we're looking forward to the semester and uh, it's, it's going to be a great semester. The other thing that happened this week uh, was, as you know, last week I did a commentary on violence. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I mean, it, it, talking about violence, uh, is, 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 that's always a controversial topic. Uh, and uh, this is not, this hasn't been an exception. I presented arguments last week in my commentary uh, in which I took the position that you can't justify violence morally and that as a practical, ma a practical matter it simply doesn't work. And I was hoping that I would get some arguments back. You know, I mean, if, if people didn't agree with me that they would make substantive arguments uh, telling me why my arguments were not valid or where I would gone wrong and whatnot. And you know, some people did, you know, but, but unfortunately uh, what ended up happening was a lot of drama and a lot of silliness and a lot of name calling uh, and um, uh, no substance, uh, but a lot of uh, a lot of uh, drama. And what's really unfortunate is not only can we not, it seems, discuss this uh, topic uh, in a sensible, uh, coherent way, but we're talking about. I mean, the people who promote violence are relatively small in number in terms of the animal rights movement as a general matter. I mean, it's not that there are you know, hordes of them, or at least it's not as far as I know. They seem to be a fairly small group of people. But they're very vocal. But the problem is, is when you have an issue like this, where you know we're in a society in which 98% of the people are consuming animal products, and everybody's looking for, for an excuse to continue to eat the hamburg or you know, eat the ice cream cone or drink the milk or whatever, and they look for an excuse, and we hand it to them. You know, we hand it to them in the form of people who are promoting violence. Uh, we hand it to them in the form of people who are trivializing the issue by, you know, turning it into "I'd rather go naked than, you know, watch Michael Vick play football or whatever." I mean, you know, whatever the issue is. I mean, we either trivialize it and turn it into some sort of silly theatrics. Or we have a small number of people who are running around talking about sabotaging this and you know violence against this person and violence against this institution, and it really ends up marginalizing the issue and giving people an excuse for not taking it seriously. And I'm sorry for that, and I'm sorry that um, that the the commentary didn't provoke a higher level of discussion. Uh, but that's the way it is. And uh, I continue to believe that uh, that the problem is violence, the solution is not violence. Look, let us be frank. If violence worked, if violence was a panacea, we would we would all be living in utopia right now because human history has been one long story of various violent events and violent people doing violent things. If it worked, there'd be no problems now, would there be? No. Uh, the problem is there are 
we're living in a very violent time. Violence begets violence. Violence is the problem. Violence is not going to be any part of the solution. Uh, I continue to believe that. I think there are compelling arguments for why uh, violence is not morally justifiable. And I think that there are arguments, very clear and, and, and I think decisive arguments, why, as a practical matter, it simply doesn't work. It's not going to work. So, you know, for those of you who are pro-violence, uh, I, I would encourage you to rethink your position because I have yet to hear uh, any arguments that, uh, any, any arguments at all, actually, in favor of violence. All I hear is a lot of name-calling and a lot of yelling and a lot of screaming and a lot of nonsense. And um, anyway, there you go. There, that's, that's what it is, and it's probably not going to change. This week I want to talk about, I want to go back to actually the topic of my first commentary, which is, I'm, I'm very happy, sort of continued to, to generate a lot of uh, discussion, uh, and that is the notion of using vegetarianism as a gateway to veganism. You know, for the past 20 years or so, I've been taking the position we shouldn't be doing that, that we really can't draw a distinction between flesh and other animal products. And um, the way I've been putting it now for a long time is there's probably more suffering in a glass of milk uh, than there is in a steak because animals used for dairy are kept alive longer, they're treated every bit as badly, if not worse, and they all end up in the same slaughterhouse anyway. And so we really can't make a distinction between flesh and dairy and flesh and wool. Or I mean, you know, you, you, you can't make a distinction. You can't, you can't target fur without talking about wool or leather or silk and things. I mean, you know, the, the, the idea that we can segment these things off or that some things are, are, are morally different from other, you know, some forms of exploitation are morally different from other forms of exploitation is just wrong. Uh, there is no morally defensible distinction between flesh and other animal products. And it is my position that veganism is the moral baseline. Veganism is not just a lifestyle issue. Uh, vegan, you know, lifestyle issues like, you know, where you like to go on vacation and things like that. Um, veganism is, uh, as I've tried to interpret it, a, 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 the acceptance of the principle of abolition in the life of the individual. That is, if you, if you accept that we ought to abolish animal use, then the first thing you do is go vegan. Uh, because veganism represents the principle of abolition applied to the life of the individual. Veganism represents the rejection of animals as things. It, re it represents the rejection of the status of animals as chattel property. It recognizes the moral personhood of non-human animals. So it's not just a lifestyle issue. It's a basic, fundamental, moral principle that reinterprets our relationship to non-humans, requires that we recognize them as non-human moral persons, and requires that we abolish, not regulate, but that we abolish our exploitation of them. And as you know, I, I maintain that we ought to become vegans ourselves, and if we want to go further, I mean, look, if, you, if, you're, if you're vegan, I'm happy. You want to do more? You want to become... I mean, I think that's a, that, that is the single most important 
activist thing you can do is to become an ethical vegan. If you don't do anything else, being an ethical vegan is extremely important, should never be underestimated, and serves as an example. I mean, even if you don't, even if you, even if you aren't actively involved in educating people, the fact that you are a vegan is going to have a profound influence on your friends, on your family, and whether you want to or not, you're going to, you know, you're 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 going to get people to think by your act of becoming a vegan. So, in my judgment, veganism, your your decision to become a vegan is the most important form of activism in this area that you can pursue. Now, if you want to do more, then what I say, creative, nonviolent vegan education. Teach other people, talk to other people, engage other people about veganism in creative and nonviolent ways. Now, three issues have come up that I want to address in this commentary about the position that I've articulated. There's certainly a lot of opposition to it. I mean, there are uh, most of the large groups, most of the new welfareists, reject my view that veganism should be the moral baseline, and they reject the view that um, that uh, we, you know, that vegetarianism is a is a, 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 a morally problematic position. You know, they say, oh no, vegetarianism is great. We ought to be promoting vegetarianism as a step toward veganism, and you know, we ought to we ought to represent vegetarianism as a morally significant position. And uh, so there's a lot of opposition to the to the view that I take, and. One of the things that I've been seeing that concerns me, and I don't know whether it's just a misunderstanding or whether people are intentionally misrepresenting the position that I'm articulating, but there are some folks out there who are saying, well, the position, the abolitionist position is that we should be rude to people or judgmental or confrontational with people who are vegetarians because they're immoral. We ought to tell them that they're, you know, that they're, they're bad people and this is confrontational and this will actually be counterproductive. And what we ought to be doing is promoting vegetarianism and telling people they're really wonderful. And, and, and we ought not to be confronting people with the problem that there is or the issue of there being no distinction between flesh and other animal products. Now, let me say, for those people who haven't understood it yet, the whole point of the abolitionist approach is to promote creative, non-violent vegan education. That means we are not engaging people in confrontational ways. I have been an educator for longer than many of you have been alive. The one thing I can tell you is that you can't educate people unless you engage them, and you can't engage them if you're confrontational about it. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be controversial, and it doesn't mean you can't take positions which are controversial. But you have to take those positions in ways in which you engage people and not in which you alienate them. I am not suggesting, never have, don't know where this is coming from, this idea that we're supposed to go up and tell people who are vegetarians that they're moral eunuchs or something uh, and that they're terrible people and you know they're, they're despicable because they're vegetarians. I'm not suggesting that at all. Never have. I don't, think we should, I don't think we should go up to anybody about any issue and present or try to engage them in a discussion about some topic by 
declaring that they're moral eunuchs, making judgments about them and being confrontational. It doesn't work for anything. It certainly doesn't work for this. Indeed, given the level of animal exploitation that most people regard as normal, it particularly doesn't work in this context. So, I don't know where this is coming from, but I just want to make it clear that what I'm proposing is that when we discuss the issue with people, we make it clear that there is no distinction between flesh and dairy products. So that when we discuss it, we talk about the, 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 the problem of animal exploitation and the fact that we have no justification for using animals for any purpose. And that, yes, of course, the treatment of these animals is terrible, but in the end, really, it's not, it's not really a question of treatment. It's a question of use that we have no moral justification for using them. Yes, we treat them terribly. We torture them. Under the best of circumstances, they're tortured. And given the large numbers that we use, that's always going to be the case. But, it, you know, it, it... I'm going to talk about this in a few minutes. It really doesn't matter. The bottom line is, we can't justify using them. We cannot justify using animals for human purposes. And when we talk to people about the about flesh we ought to also be talking to them about dairy i mean the idea we should never let people think that dairy is somehow morally distinguishable that it involves less suffering that it involves less death it the 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 meat and dairy and wool and leather and all these industries they are all inextricably intertwined and they all involve suffering and they all involve death and so, what I'm suggesting is that we make that clear. If somebody is not ready to go vegan, they'll do something else. They'll, 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 they'll make the decision. Oh, all right, well, I'll give up flesh first, or I'll give up you know, flesh and maybe some dairy first. Or I'll do some, you know, they'll make the decision about what interim step they're going to take if they're not going to go vegan. I mean, I, I think we should always be trying to help people to go vegan because it's easy to go vegan. I mean, it's, it's the, you know... It's another problem that these a lot of people exaggerate the difficulty involved in going vegan. It's easy to go vegan. I think we ought to be reinforcing that notion, not reinforcing the notion that this is only for the you know the the, the strong-hearted and the you know the real you know the the real super people among us. Uh, that is easy to go vegan, and and uh, and so I think we ought to be reinforcing that. But if people are not ready or willing to go vegan. They'll do something else. But we should not be encouraging them to do the something else. We shouldn't be saying, yeah, well, there's a difference between flesh and dairy. So if you want to give up flesh, you know, give up flesh, don't eat meat, but dairy's okay. We ought not to be saying that. And the primary reason why we shouldn't be saying that is it's false. There is no moral distinction between flesh and other products. And so... Again, it's not a question of, of telling them that, well, you know, if you're a vegetarian and not a vegan, then you know, there's something defective about you. It's a question of talking about a moral issue. We should never, you know, I mean, whether it's this issue or, or, or any other, if we want to engage people, the sure way to, you know, not engage them is to make the discussion appear to focus on them as bad people. We should be talking about the actions. I criticize the new welfareists 
in terms of I don't agree with them. I think their positions are wrong. But I try to make it very clear that I, I'm not questioning their sincerity. I'm not questioning the fact that that those people who promote welfare reform or you know whatever they, it is that they promote, or those people who are promoting these humane labels, which I think are terrible, do I think that they have sincere beliefs that these things are going to do some good? And the answer is yes. I, I they probably do. I mean, I don't know, and I'm not, you know, they they probably do. But in any event, I'm not really interested in in whether they're sincere or not sincere. What I'm interested in is whether or not this makes any sense and whether or not it can be justified, and I don't think it can be. I think it's morally problematic, and I don't think it works. I don't think welfare reform works. And so I want to make it clear that, we're, that, 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 that the, the abolitionist approach is that we educate people about animal exploitation, and we don't give them the false belief that there's a distinction between flesh and other animal products. If they want to do something less than go vegan, they'll do it. But we should not be in the position where we are saying that something else that you're doing is, is great. Yeah, that's great. Do that. You know, that that's morally meaningful. And so that's point number one. I hope that's now clear. I thought it was clear before, but for some people it wasn't. And uh, I hope it is clear now. The second issue is a number of people have said, what do you do in a situation where somebody says, look, I care about the issue. I really do. I care about the issue, but I'm not going to change. I'm simply not going to, you know, I'm I'm not going to change my lifestyle. I'm not going to to become a vegan. Um, you know, it, it 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 is it is a you know it's a moral issue for me, but it it is a, a you know for me bound up with lifestyle, and therefore I'm just not going to change. Do we give up on that person? The short answer to this: I don't ever give up on anybody. I I, I don't I don't give up on anybody. I will talk with anybody about this who is willing, wants to talk about it. I will engage that person uh, on this issue. And I will even engage people who take a more extreme position, who say that you know animals are completely outside of the moral community. We have no reason to, to, to take this issue seriously. I'll, I'll, I engage those people as well. But I think when you encounter somebody who says to you, I care about this issue, but I'm not willing to make a change, that's really an invitation for further discussion. Because if the person really does care about the position, what she's saying to you is, in effect, I care about the position, but you, yet have not, you haven't yet convinced me or stimulated me or provoked me into, 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 into changing my behavior. You haven't given me a sufficient reason yet. That's an invitation for further discussion. That's not something that should discourage you. It should encourage you. But, I say this, don't give up on anybody. You know, I mean, obviously, people don't want to talk about it. You don't, I mean, part of, part of being nonviolent and non-coercive is if people don't want to talk with you about it, you don't force yourself on them. But, to the extent that people do want to talk about it, and to the extent that people are open at any level to discussing it, I strongly urge you to accept that invitation and go for it. Discuss it. That requires that you educate yourself about the arguments. I mean, this is very frustrating to me because so many people care about this issue and 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 you know want to want to do you know want to want to really make a difference, but they're not willing to sit down and take the time and learn 
you don't have to become you know you don't have to get a PhD in philosophy you don't have to you don't have to 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 learn a great deal but you need to learn some basic concepts and you need to be able to discuss those concepts with people in ways that make sense I mean one of the in in the next commentary well maybe not the next one but a, a an upcoming commentary I'm going to talk to you about why animal welfare reform doesn't work in terms of the economics of it because a lot of folks really just don't understand the argument that animal welfare doesn't work because it can't work because of the, ch the, the property status of animals animals are chattel property welfare reform can't work animal welfare will always provide very little protection for animal interests because of the property status of animals a lot of folks don't understand why that's the case it's really quite simple. As a matter of fact, you should go to abolitionistapproach.com and, and watch the video on animals as property. And you'll, you'll understand it, I think. I hope. But it's an issue that I'm going to discuss in, a, in an upcoming commentary as well. The, the third issue, so the second one is, you know, don't ever give up on anybody. And when somebody says, yeah, I care about the issue, but I'm not going to, you know, you're not... I'm not going to do anything about it. That's an invitation for further discussion. And look at it as that and engage in that discussion to the extent that the person will engage you in discussion. And my guess is most of the people who say that sort of thing to you are wanting you to engage them in further discussion. The, the third issue is a number of people have asked a very good question. Why are the new welfarists so adamantly opposed to veganism as a moral baseline? Why? Why, why do they... Why do they spend so much time saying that, well, you know, veganism, you know, yeah, it's, a, it's an all right thing, it's a good thing if people want to do it, but it's not a moral baseline. You know, it's not a, a non-negotiable principle, as it were. You know, why, why, is, why is there so much opposition to that? Now, that's a, a question that can be answered on, on different levels. I mean, on one level, one can say, well, you know, animal welfare reform is much easier to promote because you're not really asking anybody to, 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 to do very much. So it doesn't really require people to, to change very much. And uh, one can have these campaigns which can result in raising a lot of money and, and, and whatnot. And so one can say, well, you know, uh, it, 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 welfare reform is, is, is something that can be packaged and, packaged and sold uh, by these large organizations much uh, more easily than can veganism. But I think the answer actually goes deeper and, and uh, in terms of, of the, the history and the philosophy of animal welfare. Animal welfare emerged in the 19th century as a recognition that animals could suffer, and because they could suffer, they were at least partial members of the moral community and we had an obligation not to impose unnecessary suffering on them and that we had a moral and legal obligation eventually became legal legal obligation to treat them humanely but from the beginning of animal welfare the 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 defining principle has been it's all right to use animals we just have to treat them in a particular way so so we have to distinguish between the treatment of animals and the use of animals. And the welfarist position is that the use of animals is acceptable. The treatment, 
We have to treat them a particular way. We have to treat them humanely. We can't impose unnecessary suffering on them. But it is all right for us to use them. Why is it all right for us to use them? It's all right for us to use them because unlike us, you know, they can suffer. They're like us because they can suffer. But they're not like us in that we have an interest in our lives. We have an interest in continued existence. Death is a harm for us. Even a painless death is a harm for us. Whereas death is not a harm for non-human animals. That was, an, uh, that was a notion that was articulated explicitly by Jeremy Bentham and other people in the 19th century who were the, sort of the founders of the, 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 the animal welfare movement. It is a position which is articulated explicitly by Peter Singer, who is obviously a very influential figure in the modern animal movement. Singer takes the position that with the exception of the non-human great apes and possibly dolphins and, and, and uh, uh, whatnot, but he, he, he argues that most of the animals that we routinely exploit on a daily basis don't have an interest in their lives. They're not forward-thinking. They they're not self-aware. They don't care that we use them. They only care about how we use them. And this is not... I mean, you can find Singer saying this um, in a number of different places. This is not my interpretation. He says this explicitly in a number of different places and in a number of different ways. So you have Singer, very influential person in the modern animal scene, taking the position that Jeremy Bentham took you know, in the, in the 19th century. That is, animals don't care about our using them. They only care about how we use them. And so the only question is, whether we make them suffer, not whether we're using them. Well, if that's what you believe, then I can understand why you don't view veganism as a, as a moral baseline. You see veganism as simply a way of reducing suffering, and that is exactly how veganism is portrayed by most of these new welfarist groups. I mean, you have groups out there like Vegan Outreach. Again, I'm not questioning their sincerity, I disagree with them, but they characterize veganism as simply one of a number of ways of reducing suffering. HSUS, same thing. PETA says the same thing. These are just ways of reducing suffering. And that it's, it, you know, you can't look at veganism as, a, as any sort of moral principle. It is simply, or, or a moral principle which is different from the moral principle that we ought to eat, eat cage-free eggs or happy meat or other happy animal products or whatever. That these are all just ways of reducing suffering. And this idea that animals don't have an interest in their lives and that killing them, per se, does not result in imposing a harm on them is pervasive throughout the movement. I mean, it is the only explanation, the only possible explanation for why PETA thinks that it is appropriate to kill 98% of the animals that it gets hold of, which is higher than the rate of any kill shelter in Virginia is that they don't think that painlessly killing an animal is imposing a harm on that animal. And I'm sure that they do their very best to kill animals as painlessly as they can. So this idea that animals don't have an interest in their lives and that it's alright for us to use them is pervasive. It's a foundational principle of animal welfare. It is a foundational principle of Singer's theory, which is accepted by most of these large organizations. And to the extent that that's what you think, to the extent that you think that it's all right to use animals per se, that there's nothing wrong per se with killing them, as long as you do it painlessly, or relatively painlessly, 
The only issue is whether you're making them suffer. And so if you look at it that way, then veganism becomes simply one of a number of ways of reducing suffering. Nothing more. That is not the position I argue for. I maintain that veganism is much more than that. That it is a foundational, fundamental moral principle which recognizes the moral personhood of non-human animals, which rejects the chattel status, the status of animals as chattel property, which rejects the notion of animals as things, and which represents the acceptance by the individual of the abolitionist principle that we ought to cease animal use and not regulate the torture of animals. So we'll talk about this. I, I suspect we'll talk about the subject more in future commentaries because I will, you know, I, I will, I will gauge uh, that to the responses I get uh, and uh, whether or not what I have said is is clear enough or whether it needs to be made more clear. But to sum up the uh, the the three topics today, number one to maintain that vegetarianism, that you can't distinguish between, between flesh and other animal products, and therefore that vegetarianism is not itself a morally significant position, does not entail our being confrontational with people who are vegetarians uh, and, and are judging them to be moral defects of some sort. The argument is that we ought to be frank with people, and when we discuss this issue, we ought to make it clear that there is no morally defensible decision, or distinction rather, between flesh and other animal products. That's point number one. It, it ought to be clear. If they're going to do less, that's their choice, obviously. But we ought not to be encouraging them to make those sorts of choices, particularly given that there is no moral basis for us to promote those sorts of choices. The second point, don't ever give up on anybody. And if somebody says to you, I care about the issue, but I'm not going to do anything about it, what that really means, if you translate it, is you haven't figured out a way to persuade me yet. I want to be persuaded, but you haven't figured it out yet. And the burden really is on all of us. We all have to be, I mean, it's this... We have to stop looking to leaders, whoever it is, to to lead or to provide the solutions. We have to, each of us, become a leader. Each of us has to learn the basic tools, the basic arguments. Each of us has to has to spend the time. Yeah, it's it's somewhat hard work. I mean, it's not it's not learning calculus. It's it's it requires some time and some and some energy, but we all have that responsibility to invest that time and invest that energy and learn those basic arguments so that we can educate people who want to be educated. And there are many of them out there, and don't ever give up on anybody. The final point: Why do the new welfareists reject veganism as a moral baseline? Because they view it as a way of reducing suffering. And if that's all you see veganism as, then it's no different from promoting cage-free eggs or, you know, or, or happy meat or, you know, free-range chickens or free-range whatever. You know, I mean, it's all the same. It's just a way of reducing suffering. And you have groups out there that are saying exactly that. As a matter of fact, most of the groups are saying, are making some form of that statement. Some of them very explicitly, some less explicitly. But they're, they're all basically embracing 
the position, which is the foundation of the animal welfare theory, which was around in the 19th century, and which is articulated in Singer's view, in Singer's, uh, in Singer's theory now, that the problem is suffering, the problem is not using, that we are not inflicting harm, per se, on an animal just by taking the animal's life because the animal doesn't really care about his or her life. Okay, that wraps up this commentary. Thanks very much for listening. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's incredibly easy. It's better for you, it's better for the planet, and most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do. Visit us over at abolitionistapproach.com. You know, the whole point of that site is to provide materials for you that can help you learn what you need to learn so that you can become an effective educator and so that you can help other people understand these issues. Each of us has the responsibility to become a teacher. In, 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 in the society in which we live, where animal exploitation is considered to be normal, indeed not exploiting animals is considered to be abnormal. In the society in which we live, if we're going to make any changes at all, that the change will only come when we become teachers, all of us, and we engage in creative, nonviolent, vegan education. It's the only way we're ever going to shift the paradigm. The whole point of that site is to provide you with materials, pamphlets in various languages. There are video presentations on the theory of animal rights, rights versus welfare, animals as property. And it doesn't cost you anything except your time. And if you care about the issue, then invest that time. Learn what you need to learn to become a teacher. You can do it. And you know what? There are no donate here buttons on that site, and there never will be. The site exists for one reason and one reason alone. To educate you so that you can become an effective educator. Come over to Facebook. Go over to Twitter. Thanks again.